Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837, and FSP, dedicated to food service excellence. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, there's something we say all the time as Christians. We say it in our prayer, in our liturgy. We say it in our everyday conversations. That Jesus died for our sins. That Jesus died for us. That in the cross of Christ, we are saved. Now, again, we say it all the time. We accept it. But what does it mean, precisely? I find that when you press Christians on this issue, they often have a hard time articulating what exactly it means. Look, if you're in the army and a colleague of yours throws himself on a live grenade, saves your life by giving his own, well, yeah, that's very clear. He gave his life for me. He saved me by his death. Or if a mother, let's say, donates an organ for a child and in that process she dies, we would say, yeah, sure, she sacrificed her life to save her child. But Jesus ran afoul of the authorities of his time, both Jewish and Roman. They put him to death on the cross as a state criminal. And yet we say, that saved us. That death saved us from our sins. What do we mean when we say that? Our gospel for today, in one little line, gives us a hint. A hint that's been followed by theologians up and down the centuries. Listen. Jesus speaking to his disciples. Anyone among you who aspires to greatness must serve the rest. Whoever wants to rank first among you must serve the needs of all. The Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life in ransom for the many. There's the line. The Son of Man has come to give his life as a ransom for the many. Somehow the cross of Jesus pays a price. But Christians, as theologians have wrestled with this idea up and down the centuries, they've come up with a number of different theories. Well, who precisely gets the ransom money? How are we held ransom? Who has us? And how does Jesus' death involve a payment? You look at the early church fathers. They come up with a theory that's been called the Christus Victor theory. Christ the victor. Here's how it works. In our sin we have, as it were, sold ourselves to the devil. The devil has a claim on us. Jesus comes, this great saint, this extraordinary figure, and the devil, 
is so interested in having him that he says, I will exchange everything for him. I'll, I'll give up all these people that I've held ransom if I can just have him. And so he cuts a kind of deal with God. And God says, okay, you can have Jesus. So the devil takes control of him. He presides over the passion, presides over the death, and he takes Jesus. But then, of course, in a delicious irony, in the resurrection, the divinity of Jesus is revealed, and now the devil is conquered by that greater power. It's as though God the Father used the humanity of Jesus as bait. The divinity of Jesus is a hook, and the devil takes him like a great fish, and now he's reeled in by God the Father. Christ the victor. He's paid a price, so to speak. He's ransomed us from the devil. Now, colorful theory? Sure. Lively, interesting, yes. And if you really were to press it a bit, full of theological power. But I would say this, a little difficult for contemporary people to understand or take seriously. A few centuries after that, St. Anselm of Canterbury proposes another theory. He says, the ransom is paid to God the Father, not to the devil. Our sin has offended God. God is infinite, Therefore, his offense at sin is infinite. Who of us could ever pay a price that would assuage the anger of God? Therefore, God the Father sends his Son into human flesh, so that in one sense, a human being is paying the price, but in the deepest sense, it's God himself paying the price. Now, an infinite reparation can be made for the infinite offense given by sin. Therefore, in the death of Christ on the cross, a price is paid. A ransom is settled. And God the Father's anger is satisfied. An influential theory? Yes. In fact, listen to all kinds of preaching and you'll hear the overtones of that theory. One that has a lot of theological power? Yes. The reestablishment of justice through the cross, I think, is a basically right idea. But at the same time, a theory that troubles us a bit, yes, it makes God the Father sound a bit like the ultimate dysfunctional parent, doesn't it? Who's fallen into this infinite snit over sin and now demands the bloody sacrifice of his son before his anger is satisfied. Well, for a lot of people, this sounds not a lot like the loving Father proclaimed by Jesus Christ. So what do we do? We have this language of ransom from Jesus himself. We have these two theories. We have other ones, too. Let me propose perhaps a way of getting at this. Ransom. Being held captive. These were powerful realities for people in Jesus' time. You know, we take travel for granted. We travel over long distances very safely and on beautifully paved roads in fancy automobiles. We fly in airplanes over mountains and oceans. But in Jesus' time, travel was a very dicey business. People were exposed to the elements, to the dangers of the terrain, to wild animals, and they were exposed constantly to the danger of kidnapping. 
Think, you know, a time when there were no well-organized police forces. People are traveling along open roads or traveling at sea. They would be, frequently enough, kidnapped, taken to a distant place, held for ransom. Now, imagine how long it would take for that ransom note to get wherever it was going. Think of the amount of time it would take to pay the ransom if the people back home were able to pay it. It was a pretty dire, hopeless situation. So, for the first Christians, somehow being in sin felt like that. It felt like being held for ransom in a kind of hopeless situation. Captive, imprisoned. And I would submit, Christians, we too know exactly what this means. What is sin? Sin is a kind of violence born of fear. I'm afraid of losing myself, and so I pump up my pride, drawing attention to myself, trumpeting my accomplishments. I'm afraid of losing myself, and so I'm envious of you. And I put down your accomplishments. I try to undermine you. I'm afraid of losing myself, and so I lash out in anger at you. I engage in acts of violence against my enemies. I'm afraid of losing myself, and so I fill up my soul with all kinds of material things. I give way to avarice. I'm afraid of losing myself, and so I need to fill my life up with pleasure, even if it means hurting and harming you. Sin is a kind of violence born of fear. And once I'm in sin, I mean I'm sunk in my pride, I'm sunk in my anger, I'm sunk in my avarice or my lust. I have a very hard time extricating myself from the mess. In fact, the harder I try, it's as though the deeper I get in the muck. The more I try to pull these chains off of myself, the tighter I make them. There is something about being in sin, which is like being in a prison. Now, imagine all of these imprisoned people all over the world interacting with each other, exacerbating the violence, exacerbating the fear, making this imprisonment worse as all these fearful egos now start clashing with each other. Look at the Middle East, look at Chechnya, look at Ireland, look at your own family, look at our city streets. You see it all the time. The imprisonment of all kinds of people locked in fear and sin. I would submit this is a very good description. It's like I'm a captive. It's like I'm a prisoner. What did they sense in the cross of Jesus Christ? They sensed liberation. It was like being ransomed. Now listen, maybe the primary question is not who gets the ransom, the devil or God. Maybe that isn't the primary question. Maybe it's primarily a question of feeling liberated. Now how did the cross of Jesus liberate them from this fear? 
they saw in the cross that God had gone all the way down to the very depths of the human condition, taking on all that frightens us, taking on our finitude, taking on our creatureliness, taking on our limitation, taking on, yes, even death itself, that which frightens us the most. God in Christ went all the way down, accompanying us in love. Therefore, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to cling to ourselves so desperately. We don't have to trumpet our accomplishments. We don't have to lash out at others. Our fear has been conquered by God's identification with us in Christ. Secondly, on the cross, it's as though Jesus took on all the sin of the world. It's as though all the hatred and violence, egotism, selfishness of the world came crashing against him. And what did he show us? A way out. Did he lash back in violence? No. Did he fight back in hatred? No. Rather, in forgiving and compassionate love, with God's own heart, he took on the violence of the world. In that, he showed us a way out. God's ways are not the ways of the world. God's nonviolence is a path out of the violence of sin. And so, in the cross of Jesus, our fear is conquered. In the cross of Jesus, God has shown us a way out of the imprisonment of our own violence and selfishness. And in this, I would say, we have experienced a ransom from our imprisonment. That, I think, is how the cross of Jesus saves us. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.